Hello everyone, it's July 30th, 2019, so NASA has broken away from tradition and in a rare move has made a quick decision. They've chosen Northrop Grumman to build their Gateway Habitation Module, and everyone else is off the table. Launch delays just aren't an option, and with that in mind, liftoff. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 221 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. And I'm Dennis. So we're all three back again. Yay! This time for, I think, a while. So no one's yeah, going anywhere, right? <laughs> so yeah, did you have a good vacation, Ben? Uh, yes, I did. It was uh, very relaxing. Uh, I, so I was um, entertaining a job offer that I had gotten, and I really didn't want to take the job, and I really felt like I had to. And uh, so I had a total emotional breakdown. Uh, the night before we recorded the episode or the the interview that we recorded. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, it was really relaxing and boy, did I need it. (laughs) So you were entertaining a job, but not a job there because you had gone to Portland, was it? Right, right. right. We were were in Southern Oregon, um, just hanging out with friends and the the job required to move to the other side of the country, which I really didn't want to do. Anyway, so uh, this week in Space Fight History. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got got two winners. Uh, Toby Turkosi is a familiar name, and then Tony Kent uh, also guessed correctly, and Tony says that he's only been listening to the show for, I think, three episodes, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, So welcome, Tony. The clue from last week that you guys came up with was 5 plus 4 equals 832,000. Uh, which is a that's yep. a pretty wacky clue. I, I appreciate you guys trying to replicate how crazy some of my clues are. So this week in space flight history is the 30th of July, 2008. It was the first full firing of a Falcon 9 with all nine engines. So by full firing, we mean full duration. So this happened out at uh, the McGregor test facility. And this comes uh, on the heels of uh, on May 29th. You know, just like uh, a month or two before, um, they had done a five-engine test fire, um, but this time was all nine engines firing for the whole 178 seconds. And you know, for each of those moments, they were generating 832,000 pounds of force, which is where the the clue comes from. And yeah, so this is when SpaceX basically demonstrated that they were potentially going to be flying the most powerful single stick rocket currently in flight. And it's also the first time that uh, we had flown a rocket with engine out capability because you know, everything else is, is uh, you, you can't lose a single, a single engine. Thank goodness they haven't really had to rely on their engine out capability, mm-hmm. uh, except, for, except for that one time. Um, and, and yeah, so same with the chat says, d- didn't uh, Saturn 1 have engine out? Yeah, the, the Saturn series is where we stopped having, uh, or S- Saturn 5 had a- engine out capability. So that's when we stopped having that ability. And I guess technically, um, shuttle could make it to orbit while losing one of its three engines, but it was, you know, technically an abort. Uh, so installed were Merlin 1Cs. As a reminder, they skipped the 1B. So the Merlin 1A was flown on uh, Falcon 1, and then Merlin 1C was flown on the last two uh, Falcon 1 uh, attempt and then successful launch. Um, And so this Falcon 9 had nine of these guys strapped together. And uh, there were, I think, three different versions of the Merlin 1C before they versioned up to the 1D, which was a much more prolifically flown uh, engine. 
but notably the 1c was a step up because it added regenerative cooling which the 1a didn't have but it also removed the turbo pump exhaust so one of the versions was the one that flew on falcon 1 and that had the turbo pump exhaust could point in in different directions to control the roll of the vehicle so they added a version going up to Falcon 9 where they didn't have that and then I believe the third version of the of the Merlin 1C added a turbo pump upgrade and then of course there was the 1C vacuum version so anyway all, all that to say uh, this was uh, on the 30th of July 2008 so we had to wait another two years until June 4th 2010 before Falcon 9 actually flew uh, and of course, that was the Dragon qualification flight. And yeah, it's the beginning of a very successful rocket that's a valuable addition to our uh, ascent fleet. Yeah, it's worth noting just uh, how far they've come because this first test was um, 9-1Cs and that had a total thrust of 832,000 pounds. Uh, the Block 5 version now, which uses the 1Ds, and I'm not sure if that number 832,000, if that's sea level, I think it is. But right now, the sea level, the total thrust for the Block 5 is uh, 1.7 million pounds so yeah. that's like nearly yeah twice as actually that's more than more twice, than twice as, yeah, yeah yep. twice the thrust so i don't know that's that i find that just incredible and i kind of wonder what is the theoretical upper limit like how much more can they push an engine well i guess they're going to be transitioning over to like other fuels such as methane so we'll have to see what happens there but yeah we're, we're close to the theoretical maximum for this rocket right because mm -hmm. that that jump includes densified propellants which make a huge difference if they were to push it much past this they would basically be building a totally different rocket which like you said is one of the things that they're doing yeah all right, so uh, since I'm actually going to be here next week, I have a clue for next week, too. <laughs> All right, so next week in 2005, the clue is returning with pieces missing. 2005, returning with pieces missing. More recent spaceflight stuff. 14 years ago, yeah. This century. Well, if anyone thinks they know what that is about, uh, which again is next week in 2005, returning with pieces missing, just give us a tweet with the hashtag this week SF, and good luck. NASA issues a rare sole source contract to Northrop Grumman, or what's it called now, Northrop Grumman? Innovation Systems. Innovation Systems, okay. Yeah, and so spe specifically that's, you know, like obviously not all of North Northrop Grumman is now NGIS. It's, it's a subsidiary that used to be uh, Orbital ATK. Yeah. Yeah, this is uh, somewhat rare, but uh, we're going to talk about the reasons, the justifications for why you know, we're just getting this one source. Yeah, well, so first we have to mention that uh, NASA really wants to get the Lunar Gateway up and running as soon as they possibly can because politicians have told them to do so. Mm -hmm. um, which, you know, obviously, like, we went to the moon the first time because a politician took a big stand and said, hey, let's go do this. Granted, um, <laughs> even Kennedy had his doubts uh, about actually being able to fulfill the end of the decade. Uh, lunar landing, but you know, this is not a politics show. So back in August of 2016, NASA awarded a next step two contract to a bunch of different companies to study building the habitation module of the Lunar Gateway uh, Station. So that went to Bigelow Airspace, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, NanoRacks, 
Orbital ATK, you know, who's now Northrop Grumman Innovation Systems, and also Sierra Nevada. And so they actually, I believe, everyone who got part of that contract uh, actually built a demo uh, on the ground. I, I know for sure that Orbital ATK did, um, but um, I believe the other ones did as well. And, and so now we're looking at actually um, building the real thing and doing so under, you know, a, a bit of a time crunch. And NASA believes that there's only one company who can do it. And there's actually a really good reason why, why it's this one company. So, yeah, the companies in total, had they, you know, like entertained those proposals, it, it would actually be 12 to 18 months more. So that would have added that much time before they could get underway. If it was just the next step to competitors, which is a smaller subset, then that still would have added six months. So that's still a long time. And they really want to have this thing actually in orbit by a certain time period. So to me, that seems like a pretty... I mean, to be honest, that actually does seem like a pretty good justification. I, I mean, we all have our problems, you know, with the whole Lunar Gateway thing. But as far as getting stuff done, I'm actually... I, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they did this because... This is sort of like the opposite of what NASA tends to do, which is create more opportunity to, I don't know, just kick the can down the road. At least well, that's and, how I perceive it. And even Apollo, specifically the LEM, which was super, super rushed, right? I mean, we actually flew, uh, what was it, Apollo 9 without a LEM, or uh, Apollo 8 without a LEM, uh, because it wasn't ready. And, you know, last week, the This Big in Space Flight history was, a, the clue was just a list of all the different companies that were were lined up to mm -hmm. to make proposals. So yeah, I, I think it's I think it's definitely uh, out of out of character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is just this is just scrambling though with that twenty twenty four deadline. It's just like we got to do this quick. So uh, screw everything. Let's just pick Northrop Grumman and run with it because yeah. we don't yeah. have time for anything else. Yeah. You know, given that time constraint, I think it makes perfect sense, really. They, their justification for why they uh, awarded this to just, you know, one contractor who, you know, they haven't signed a contract yet, uh, but this is just uh, announcing their intentions to, essentially. And so uh, the contract still is being negotiated. Uh, it'll need to be reviewed before the uh, construction actually begins. And the upshot is that there is a five-year base period for development and delivery so the thing needs to get to kennedy space center by mid 2023 to get ready for a launch at least by the end of the year in order to still be able to make it to lunar orbit in 2024 in time for artemis 3 to get there and use it for the uh, lunar landing so <laughs> uh that's a lot of stuff to happen <laughs> in a relatively short period of time but and after that, the contract will have uh, two-year cycles to kind of uh, maintain it and move forward from there. Because as far as, like I said, about scrambling, Lunar Gateway, they had their ideas for Lunar Gateway. And now those ideas have changed to, okay, uh, how can Lunar Gateway help Artemis? And after Artemis, you know, does its thing, then maybe they can start implementing kind of their earlier plans that they had for the platform. So that's, I guess, what this kind of contract extension is to sort of look at those kind of things once they can take a, a breath if they actually do, you know, successfully land by 2024. So like I mentioned before, you know, the, the question is, why do they think that Northrop Grumman is able to deliver this so quickly, um, quickly enough that it's worth pretty much discounting everybody else? And uh, like I mentioned, it's based on Cygnus, this um, 
this module is going to be, which which is really cool. I mean, I, I love seeing this heritage form, you know, before our eyes. Mm -hmm. um, so Northrop Grumman originally had delivered two different uh, module demos just to kind of give NASA an idea of, you know, if you want uh, X amount of space, this is what it feels like. If you want Y amount of space, this is what it's going to feel like. And um, the smaller one is the one that's actually based on Cygnus. It's uh, six by three meters. So it's, it's six meters long and three meters wide. And it's, you know, a cylindrical Cygnus looking mother. <laughs> um, and um, Mike Fuller, who, uh, who works for NGIS, said that a three meter pressure vessel would be relatively easy for us to produce on our current production line. Um, oh, and then one of you guys added the the other number. Um, the the larger uh, version was seven meters by four point four meters, which I, I believe is closer to what space station uses. So yeah, um, you know we're we're talking about uh, not only a small module, but um, a, a very minimalistic kind of a stripped down module. Does that sound like uh, we're putting a lot of confidence? and the gateway as a useful artifact uh... to be honest like it actually does give me a little bit more confidence because i think that that's to me is the best way to get things done is you know you have a goal and then you figure out what you need to do to achieve it as opposed to doing things like the other way around which is where they just kind of you know develop hardware and then figure out what they can use it for so mm -hmm. this might be a good idea yeah, it, it's yeah, it's weird because I kind of it flip flops in my head how I yeah. feel about it because I, <laughs> I I like Cygnus um, just you know on an emotional uh, fan based level I like Cygnus so yeah so I just wanted to touch on the three considerations and in, in the justification for why they chose to uh, soul source to NGIS you touched on uh, the first one and the biggest one is that it's based on Cygnus which is an already very capable you know spacecraft that's been going to station for years now and so uh that was probably the single biggest reason but also the small size that we touched on as well uh it fits in the fairings of existing launch vehicles which is important because for building this nasa's already said that you know they're gonna have to use kind of existing launch vehicles uh, for assembling the gateway they're getting the stuff up there and then uh the third kind of bit is that it has, uh, or NGIS has critical subsystem maturity, which is another way of saying that they're already trying to develop the things that they would need for this space uh, habitat, which is, we didn't actually say the name of it, right? The minimal space module, right? Oh, is that what they call it? I don't think I've seen that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The MHM, minimal habitable module or habitation yeah. module. I, I don't think that's the name of it. Um, I think that's kind of a, a description of it. True. That's just like a designation, right, right, right. but yeah. So that's what they're yeah, referring to this thing as. But could, the, you, uh... could you imagine if we actually flew something called the minimal habitation module? <laughs> People would throw a fit. The shoestring module? This is the... <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. The shoestring <laughs> module. Well, but you know, one thing to also to consider, I, as far as I know, the six by three meter module that actually has not been confirmed as the one that they're pursuing. I think that that's just assumed because, you know, that is the most practical choice, but it actually could be the larger one, uh, but probably not. The articles that I've read have seemed, they would seem to indicate that they haven't specified which one NASA is going to select. And that's assuming that, you know, it can be done at the correct 
price point because they haven't actually given it the green light yet. But uh, if mm-hmm. not, then they're going to have to reevaluate some other options. And the whole point was to not do that. So I guess they kind of have to go with Northrop Grumman. At this point, it sounds like they're kind of locked in. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so this is a cool thing. So the critical subsystem maturity, the radial docking ports, how many does it need? And just to clarify, a radial docking port means that it is on the sides of the module, the curved surface as opposed to either end of it. Mm -hmm. That's kind of neat. You know, that kind of just reminds me of a space station module. Oh, yeah. So speaking Mm -hmm. of of space station modules, um, the larger of these two versions is actually still smaller than... Um, than space station module. So Destiny, you know, which is long, it's one of the longer ones, um, is 8.4 meters by 4.2 meters. So when we're saying, yeah, shoestring uh, module, it, this thing is small. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was the maximum diameter that you could put in a shuttle cargo bay? Because that is, for the most part, mm-hmm. that's what limited the International Space Station. And so what we're saying here is that there's nothing that we could use that, that's above the three meter limit that there's only three meters because uh we don't have any larger payload pairings because i thought maybe like couldn't you get a falcon heavy to do it well i mean i mean falcon heavy can put something like seventeen thousand kilograms you know 17 tons mm. metric tons into like a lunar uh, into a lunar transfer it's not it, i think it's actually more than that but do we know if this thing also needs uh propulsion to slow it down once it gets to the moon um i don't i don't know if we actually know that I'm assuming it can do docking on its own. Although maybe this is just the first module that's going to get sent up and the the propulsion module will do all of its, you know, docking on its own. I don't know. I don't know. We're too darn early, you know? <laughs> Let me ask this as well. So also the the body mounted radiators, this is because I've seen some renderings of a Russian version of this kind of that would mean just these large panels that kind of run the length of the module, right? And then they radiate out into space. So we're not talking about something that's actually deployed. Is is that the implication of body mounted? That's kind of what I saw. Like I, I didn't see anything um as far as the lunar gateway module specifically, but when I did a search for it, I saw that kind of design. It kind of reminds me of how what am I trying to say? The Japanese module? The H2 transfer vehicle. HTF. Or HTV. That's go. the one. That's what you're yeah, talking about. The H- yeah, the HTV. It kind of reminds me of the HTV in that it has, but that has like solar panels, but these would be panels for radiating heat. Kind of similar. Looks kind of cool, actually. But um, because you would have to fit that within that payload fairing as well. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of like how much internal space does it actually have? Because it's supposed to be three meters, but is that the external diameter it's, it's got to be the external diameter right so yeah so you have even less than that if you include all these other things mm-hmm. including the docking ports that was one of the kind of key considerations right for why they went with this and did single sources because it's small enough that evidently you could in principle fit it on some of these existing launch vehicles Maybe a new Glenn? I'm almost certain that you can't. I think that new Glenn, once it's actually ready, which it won't be in time, but once it is, it's going to be, like, I just don't think it can go that far. It'll be strictly low Earth orbit. My guess is that it doesn't have quite the same efficiency and therefore capability. So so it's going to be big, but it's not going to be quite as powerful. I don't I don't know why you would because I just think of like how much just how far SpaceX is coming, how hard that's been, and we haven't even seen a single launch to orbit of of anything from them. I mean, like maybe they're getting it all worked out and they're just gonna hit the ground running and it's just gonna be amazing, but somehow I doubt that's gonna happen. So mm-hmm. 
you'll you'll believe it when you see it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fair enough. But um I, I, I was looking around and I saw that the power and propulsion element is actually like slated to go up there on a blue origin rocket. So yeah. Okay, it would have to be, yeah. Now admittedly that could probably give itself its own little oomph, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and at the you know, this time next year we'll find out that Artemis was just a scam and it's not actually gonna happen. So <laughs> But who yes. knows? Scam, scam's a bit much, but yeah, I, I, I feel you, dude. All right, let's do our traditional three short and sweets. What's our first one? All right, Star Hopper Hopped. The shortened hopper version of SpaceX's massive Mars lander successfully completed its first free flight. Earlier, a no-flight abort occurred when the vehicle's chamber pressure went too high due to colder-than-expected and thus denser-than-expected propellants. Uh, the roughly 20-second flight on Thursday included a lateral translation to clear the ground service equipment. Uh, this is the first successful flight of a vehicle powered by full-flow staged combustion engines. The next flight should be up to 200 meters high, and Elon tweeted that he expects a press update to occur in the next two weeks. That's so cool. All right. uh, moving from Mars to the Moon, uh, Blue Origin fires its B-7 lunar lander engine. Blue Origin announced that it has test-fired its B-7 rocket engine at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center for six minutes, the length of time needed for a lunar landing. The hydrogen-fueled engine, which is capable of 10,000 pounds of thrust, is designed to power the Blue Moon lander during its ascent. Meanwhile, NASA has released a draft solicitation for a lunar ascent stage, in line with its goals to land humans on the moon in 2024. Awesome. You know, I think I'm just angry at them because they don't tell us anything, so I'm just a little <laughs> bit... You know, that's kind of why I'm like, you know what? You know, you know, it's like you kind of want to say, yeah, I don't think you got anything. Like, you do, like, you know, and then hopefully they'll say, oh, yeah, we'll look at this. But... <laughs> And uh, finally, LightSail 2 successfully deploys its sail and sends back imagery. Downlink limitations initially restricted confirmation of solar sail deployment, but we now have a series of photos showing the Mylar sail popping into place. LightSail 2 has already begun tacking procedures and is rotating 90 degrees twice per orbit to accelerate while traveling away from the sun and raise its orbit little by little. The vehicle is expected to last in orbit for about a year before atmospheric drag at periapsis is strong enough to overcome the apoapsis boosting solar sailing maneuvers. So that's really neat. So we don't have any questions, comments, or corrections. So straight on to upcoming spaceflight events. We got a couple launches and a docking. So yeah. So first up on July 31st, we've got a Soyuz 2.1A. Uh, we'll be taking the Progress MS12 or 73P uh, resupply vehicle to station. And so the launch will take place at 12:10:46 UTC, an instantaneous window. Uh, again, on July 31st, launching out of Baikonur. And then that's going to rendezvous uh, and dock with the space station the uh, same day. Um, so the coverage will be on NASA TV. The coverage will begin at 10.45 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, July 31st. And then the docking is scheduled at 11.35 a.m. Eastern Time. Then on the 5th, we have a Proton-M with a Breeze-M upper stage, and that's launching Blagovest number 14L. It is the fourth and final of four Blagovest communication satellites. Yeah, so yeah, this is a high-speed internet communication satellite, and it also looks like... Looks like it also broadcasts TV, radio broadcasting, and voice and video networking. So basically, you know, just another communication satellite. That well, it, it also does Russian military communication. So it's kind oh, okay. of everything all rolled up into one. Cool. And so that has a launch window of twenty one fifty five through 
2240 UTC, and that's launching from the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. All right, so those are your upcoming SpacePod events. All right, so time to deal with this, uh, I guess, small-ish episode. Uh, so we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly. And a special thank you to our new ADCO level uh, supporter, Zachary Tong. Thank Yay. you. If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen or visit the orbitalmechanics.com support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit. We're Orbital Podcast on both, and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. So that is all, and we will see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later. Goodbye, everybody. See you.